right, guys, I need you to turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. We're, we're in that final section of John. You know, we've been going through the Gospel of John wanting to get to know him, and, and we're going to get to know him some more today. But also as we've been getting to know Jesus, you can't help but read the Gospel and have it reveal to you who you are and uh, the things that you and I struggle with. And we're going to see that especially today because we're going to, it's going to talk about Jesus as he goes through these Jewish trials. So I want to help you to understand. So when we look at what takes place, the first thing is, is he goes through a series of Jewish trials with the high priest and the high priest's son-in-law. And they're trying to find something to bring as an accusation against him. So we're going to see how Jesus reacts to that. We're going to learn some things about him. But also, we're going to learn about ourselves through Peter. Because intertwined in this story is the story of Peter's failure. And we're, we're all aware of it. And what is Peter's failure? Where he denies Jesus how many times? Three times before the rooster crows. And... We're going to see why that takes place, because of, of all the people, I mean, we already know Jesus predicted that he's going to deny him three times, which Peter denies that that's going to take place. Well, I mean, here it's just a few short hours that takes place, and we're going to see that today. And we're going to learn some lessons here, because what we're going to see from both Jesus and, and, and Peter is how they're responding to the pressure. And let's, let's be honest, there's some severe pressure going on here, and that is Jesus has been arrested, he's going to face death. There's pressure there, pressure on Peter as well. Why? Because there's the concern, is, are they going to come after his disciples, of which Peter is probably one of the chief ones. So what does that got to do with you and I? Well, I want to start off talking about the moment of failure. We all have them, Okay. We, we all have a moment of failure in which we, we may say we'll never do something. And you've heard that, never say never, right? Because you'll end up doing what you say you'll never do. And, but yet we keep making those statements. I'll never do that. Well, yeah, try. Yep, it happens. You know what I'm saying? And so those are our moments of failure. And it's very devastating in the life of a believer. So I just want to make a couple of points here. So why does that take place? Well, here it is. First one, our interaction with Jesus gives us a level of confidence as we face life. It's only natural that we get to a place of a point of failure because when you interact with Jesus, and what I mean by interact with him is when you're praying with him and you're reading your word and, and you grow in your relationship with him and you're seeing him answer prayer and you're seeing him, you're seeing him interact in your life and, and what seems like, wow, that's amazing that that happened, but it's, you realize it's God working in your life and doing things and, and orchestrating things in your life. There, there can be a level of confidence with you that I'll never do stuff. I'll never do something wrong. I, I, I'm, I've got Jesus. I'm okay from here on out. And I, and I try to warn folks that, you know, given the right circumstances, the right situation, 
Who's to say that we wouldn't do what we are actually condemning others for? Every one of us here has the possibility of doing wrong. And as believers, we should be aware of that. And, and part of the thing is, is that we get really confident in, in knowing Jesus. Now, here, here's what happens. Intense pressure causes us to respond in ways we never thought we would. Stuff happens. And here you are, you think, I will never do that. But then, remember what I said, right circumstances, right situation. Who's to say you won't? And guess what life does? Life brings you into those pressure points. He brings you into situations where you are faced with, what do I do now? And sometimes the choice isn't a good choice. Sometimes we do things we never thought we would. You've been there. I mean, this is not like, oh, we're talking about somebody else. We've all been there, right? I mean, it, it's a reality that we face. Well, well I would never do that. And I, can't, and I, I think back through life as, as I think about family members, I even think about myself. I would never do that. I would never. And, and then you do do that, and then you have it brought up. Well, didn't you say you would never do that? Yeah, yeah, but you know. And here's what we do. We're making an excuse. Well, I never thought I would face that, or I never thought this. You know, I had to do with that because of the circumstance. And so we have this failure. Now, the problem is, here's the problem. And it's because of our culture, we defined ourselves by our moments of failure. We look at ourselves based on what we didn't do when we should have done something else. We define ourselves by our sins and our failures. And the, the insidious lie is, is that somehow... God has changed now in how he sees you because of that. He's changed. Well, can I tell you this? I, might as well, I was going to tell you this later on. I might as well tell you it right now. Did you not think that he knew you were going to mess up? Remember, we're talking about Jesus who tells Peter, Peter, before this night's over, you're going to deny me three times. But I've prayed for you. Still Jesus reaching out, right? My friends, he is not shocked by our failures. And his plan for you, his plan for you includes your failures. So realize that. So let, let's look at this because we're going to contrast it here. We're going to look at the pressure and how Jesus responds, and be honest with you, the reason why Jesus responds the way he responds is because he's Jesus. But then we're going to see Peter, and the reason why Peter responds the way he responds is because he's human. Okay? Jesus is Jesus, both fully human and fully God, 
He can be that way, but that's not you and I. In fact, I relate to Peter here. Okay? Let's look at it together. Look with me. Verse 12, we're going to look through verse 27. Chapter 18. Then the detachment of troops and captains of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him to Annas first. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it was expedient that one should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside, and when the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who was kept the door and brought Peter in, then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals, stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Then the high priest asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where the Jews always meet. In secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. Then, when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. If well... Why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And he denied again, and immediately the rooster crowed. All right, so folks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look, first of all, at Jesus, learn some things about Jesus. And, and as we learn about Jesus, I need you to recognize, how is that going to help us in our understanding of him? It's going to show you how he operates and who he is as he deals with things in your life. And then we're going to look at Peter. And as we look at Peter, we're going to make some observations, which I think we can all resonate with, because let's be honest, we're like Peter. I'm not. All the more so, you're like Peter. Because isn't that like what Peter says? I will never do that. I will die for you, Jesus. Okay, yeah. Yep. 
And Jesus said to him, before this night's over, you will be deny me three times. So let's look at these together. First of all, let's talk about Jesus. It's interesting. What's going on here? So let me give you a little bit of background, okay? So the Romans were very funny. According to the Jews, when you selected a high priest, the high priest was the high priest until he died. Now the Romans didn't like that system. They didn't want power, especially religious power, any civil power, to be vested in any one man of a nation that they had conquered. So what they did was, is they didn't like the thought of a high priest being the high priest for life. So what they did was, is they would, after a period of time, maybe a year or two or three, they would then pick another high priest. Now to the Jew, if the high priest is still living, he's still the high priest. But that wasn't the way it was with the Romans. So Annas is the older one. He was high priest until what? The Romans said, you're no longer high priest, so they made Caiaphas, his son-in-law, the high priest. So here you have Annas, and of course you'll notice the servant, when he strikes Jesus, refers to him as, why do you speak to the high priest that way? The actual high priest, according to the Romans that year, was Caiaphas. So I'm just trying to get you to understand the background here. So what they're doing is they arrest Jesus, and according to the Jewish system their legal system, a man cannot bear witness against himself. They have to have witnesses to make the accusation. But notice what they're doing. They're going against their own system and they bring him in and they start questioning him. They start putting pressure on him because they want Jesus to say something incriminating. But what you're going to see about Jesus as he's in the midst of the pressure, he doesn't respond like a human. He responds like somebody who's on a mission. He's out to serve who and fulfill whose plan? The Father's plan. So that brings up two things I want you to see here. Here's the first one. Jesus faced intense pressure to incriminate himself. We see that here in verse 19 to 21. Here's what it says. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered, I've spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I've said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. So here's Jesus. He's getting this. They're wanting him to incriminate himself. He says, look, everything I've ever taught, I've done in a synagogue or in a temple. Everyone has heard me. Why are you asking me? If I've said something wrong, let somebody come in and say that I've said wrong. Bring out the witnesses. He's holding his ground. He's not allowing the pressure to what? Buckle himself. Now, I think it's interesting because here's the thing. Have you noticed we have a natural tendency? We're going to talk about it here in a minute. I'm like this. Somebody starts coming and making accusations against me. What's our natural reaction? We get what? Defensive. We feel now that we're the ones who have to what? Defend ourselves, say what we need to say, and 
prove our innocence. Now, if you and I were facing the intense questioning of those leaders that night, knowing that they're wanting to kill me and find anything, our natural tendency is to want to defend ourselves. Jesus is like, hey, I've been speaking among you for a long time. In the synagogues and in the temples, everyone has heard me. If I've said something wrong, where are they who said that I said something wrong? So he's holding his own. He faces intense pressure to incriminate himself, but he holds his own. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus did not buckle under the pressure and challenged their actions. He didn't buckle. In fact, it gets worse. They hit him. They weren't allowed to do that in the Jewish system. When they went through a trial, you weren't supposed to lay your hands on the accused until a verdict has been rendered. And here's what happens. Here he is, he's responding, bring out the witnesses. The guard next to him says, don't you talk to the high priest that way. And it says with an open hand, with his palm, he slaps Jesus on the side of his face. But notice how Jesus responds. Jesus says to him, if I've spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? He's not letting the pressure buckle him. He's not letting the pressure buckle him. You know, there's an interesting little book. I, I wonder, I don't know, I don't think we have any copies of it. In, yeah, I think we do. It's A.W. Tozer's Five Vows of Spiritual Powers. I think it's the third vow Tozer wrote, never defend yourself. Let God defend you. Never defend yourself. I think there's a few copies left in the back. They're free. Take one. It'll be a, a little bit of a read, 30 minutes, and you're done with the whole book. But that's it. Never defend yourself. What's our natural tendency? Defend ourselves, right? Because I'm not taking care of me. Who is? But Jesus is completely different. So that brings us to the guy we can relate to. Peter. Mr. Wear his emotions on the sleeve, right? I want you to notice with me. We're going to look at a couple things here about Peter. Actually, four things. First thing I want to make mention of is this. Peter loves Jesus and will follow him anywhere. All right, I want you to understand, when we read about Peter's failure here, I want you to have it in your mind, one overriding truth. He loved Jesus. You can't deny that. He loved Jesus. I mean, from the very beginning, when Jesus first entered into his boat, and he caught that big catch of fish, and, and, and Peter realizes who's with him. And he says, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. Jesus didn't even say it. He just said, cast your nets over there. Jesus is, is such an impact on Peter. Peter realizes who he is, that this is the Son of God. And he f leaves his boats and his nets, and he follows him. At some point, when all the other disciples left, and, and Jesus says, you're here with me still. And Peter says, where have we get to go? We left everything to follow you. You have the words of life. When they're in the upper room and, and he's talking about being betrayed, 
It's only natural because we want to defend ourselves, right? Peter says, I love you. I will do anything for you. I'll die for you. And when they're in the garden, who's the dude that breaks out the sword? Peter. So we can't deny that he doesn't love Jesus. He loves Jesus. Let me stop for a moment. I don't know when it is that you got saved. For me, it was April of 1985. I love Jesus. I'm sure that in your heart, if you're a believer in Christ, it's there for you. You love Jesus, okay? Somebody said to you, you love Jesus. Yes, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. He is real in my life. I love Jesus. But, and that's a big word here, isn't it? I mess up. Peter messed up. But you can't deny that he doesn't love Jesus. He loves Jesus. So what happens? Let's go with it. Here it is. First of all, the pressure to bend comes at unexpected moments. So here he is. He's following Jesus in the passage. He's, he's at the high priest's courthouse. They're at the, the, the aristocrats at those times, especially even the high priest. They had their, their villas and so forth. And, of course, there would be a courtyard. It's more of a big structure where, you know, there are many dwelling places within of course, there would be servants, and of course, there would be guards. And, and so they're at the gate. The disciple who is not mentioned here, many believe that is John, the Apostle John. John obviously is known to the family of the high priest. He's able to go in because they know who he is. They don't know who Peter is, and so at first you read he's waiting outside by the gate, right? John goes in, talks a little bit with whoever, and they let Peter come in. And so Peter comes in. And, and so they're there. Why? Because they love Jesus. They want to be with Jesus. They want to see what's happening with Jesus. But at the most unexpected moment, in the most unexpected way, he gets challenged. Not by some burly guard. Hey, weren't you the dude with the sword? It's a little maiden girl saying, aren't you one of his disciples? Now, how would she have figured that out? Maybe he spoke and she heard Galilean, kind of an accent there. And what does he do? It wasn't me. I'm not. He denies Jesus. Comes out of the most unexpected moment. In the most unexpected way. And what comes out of him immediately? It's not me. No, I'm not one of those. No, I'm not a, a I'm not the one who does that. Why? Here's the second one thing I want you to see. Defensive responses to pressure are natural. They're natural. I, I'm gonna I can guarantee you, even though he knew Jesus said he was going to betray him, when Peter walked into that courthouse, I do not believe that Peter had on his mind 
that he was going to deny Jesus that day. In fact, if you had said to him before he went into that courthouse, now be careful, Peter, you might deny the Lord, he would probably be like, I ain't going to do that. But when you face pressure in the most unexpected ways, it happens. Why? Because our defenses are natural. Your defense mechanism will kick in. It's kind of like, you know, I, I like camping with my family, okay? And, uh, and sometimes we go to places and we're there, but there are other things there that I don't want to be there, but they are there. Those are mosquitoes. And, and so we do all we can to spray ourselves, fumigate ourselves so that they, we are never bothered by those pesky things. But sometimes you are. So lands on your arm. Natural reaction. I don't even have to think about it. Do you? Do you sit there and contemplate as it's sucking the blood out of your arm? Should I kill it? Should I not? Should I let it go? It is, a, it is life. I don't, no, you, it's natural. When you're in a situation where you are being confronted, where even though you love him, your life might be on the line, Aren't you one of his disciples? We see it in verse 17. We see it also in verse 25. The immediate reaction is what? I am not him. I'm, I'm not one of his disciples. I don't, I don't know him. Why? Because self-protection takes over. And you find yourself doing what you don't want to do. In fact, here's what it is. Under the pressure, Peter finds himself doing what he said he would not do. He finds himself saying what he would not do. We've been there, right? We're human. We're human. It's interesting, one of the other Gospels says that as soon as he heard the crow, the cock crow, the rooster crow, he went away weeping. And we understand that too, right? Because we tell ourselves we're not going to do something, we're not going to do it, we're not going to do it. We pray about it, we pray about it. Lord, I need your help, I'm not going to do it. And then we find ourselves what? Doing it. And it destroys us because at that point we think we have totally messed up and that our relationship with God will never be the same. But that brings me to the scripture that I read to you earlier. Proverbs chapter 24 verse 16. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. We're going to see it here in a few weeks when we get into chapter 21. We're going to see that Peter is living in the defeat of what he did. And he decides to go what? Back to fishing. 
And guess who meets him fishing? Jesus. And it's almost like a repeat of what we see in the Gospels. Cast your nets over there. And they bring in the biggest load again. And John is there with him and he says, it is the Lord. And guess what Peter does? Instead of just taking the boat in, Peter jumps in the water and swims to, to Jesus. Why? Because he loves Jesus. But he is defeated. But here's the grace of God. And we'll look at it more in depth later on. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he does it three times. And Peter understands what's going on. That's grace. And so what, what is the word to you? You, you, are, you are caught up in whatever it is in your life and you fail, you fail, you fail and you, and you wonder, does God love me? Does he care for me? You are defeated by it and the question is from the Spirit to you, do you love me? Do you love me? And the only response is if you're a believer, Yes, I do love you. And you know that, Lord. Then he tells them to what? Go on and do things. We're human. We're not Jesus. He never wanted you to be Jesus. But he is gracious. And so if you fall... Well, it says seven times, George, it's been 107. Pick yourself up and go on with the Savior who loves you. Let me pray for you.